Hi, I'm Christine Murray, and welcome to the Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make places worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. The call to retrofit and reuse buildings grows ever louder. This has seen the heritage lobby and climate protectors align with common purpose for perhaps the first time. What's the best approach to bringing heritage buildings back into use? How do you decide what to keep and how do you make the business model work? This week we sat down with Tim Heatley from Capital Incentric and Mark Braund from BDP to talk about Stockport's Weir Mill, a future mixed-use development that brings some mill buildings back into good use. So, Tim, welcome to the Developer Podcast. Tell me a little bit about um, you and your business and uh, and this project that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, look, look, look firstly, thanks of all. Uh, thanks very much, first of all, for having me. Um, looking forward to chatting to you and, and Mark today. Uh, so I'm a property developer and I co-founded a company called Capital and Centric. And we spend about £2 million a week now on projects that have a positive social impact on the places and spaces that we develop. And to us, that means a few different things. Uh, there's usually a few hallmarks of our projects. We we do a lot of preservation and conservation of, of, of listed or historic important buildings. Um, the second thing, I suppose, often is that we create high quality jobs in areas where there's high levels of deprivation and worklessness. Um, thirdly, I suppose, uh, where we develop residential projects, the, we ban buy-to-let investors from buying them. So we either retain ownership of them ourselves and rent them out entirely, or we sell them to owner-occupiers only. And that's because we want to create a community wherever we develop uh, places and spaces. And also, um, another key thing is everything we do has to be super energy efficient. Um, that's always been the case, always been the way. And, and, and so that comes naturally to us. And then finally, it's got to be award-winning architecture. It's got to be exemplary architecture, but architecture that's accessible, um, that's democratic, and it's not elitist, if you like. It's got to be there for everyone to access and enjoy and, and feel the benefits of it. And my background is actually, I trained as a lawyer. And, um, and whilst I was studying, I used to buy art of my fellow uh, art students um, and uh, who were fellow uh, uh, undergraduates. And then I was upcycling cars after a while as well. Never really studying much, to be honest. I got a third at uni. Um, but, 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 but a nice thing was that I was able to, uh, following, you know, moving into the world of development and starting a development company, I bought my old campus back from university, uh, which has become the, um, the £250 million campus project in the city centre of Manchester. So there's a brief overview of, of my, uh, my background. Um, hi, um, I'm Mark Braund. Um, I'm an architect director at a practice called BDP. Um, we are one of the largest architectural practices in the UK, and I'm responsible for leading our mixed-use residential team in Manchester and also leading our Liverpool studio. Um, and working with people like like Tim and developing, uh, you know, residential projects is is kind of a core of part of the work that I do. So I want to talk about Weir Mill, uh, which is a project you're working on together. And I mean, maybe we'll start right from the very beginning, Tim. So how did you come across this project and what attracted you to the site? And then maybe, Mark, you could come in and tell me a little bit about the design approach. Yeah, thanks. So we've been, um, as, a, as a business, we've been developing uh, large projects, but often in, in city centres that have been in need of regeneration. So uh, maybe taking a whole swathe of, of Manchester, for example, where we've created Piccadilly East. Um, and uh, and that's where there's been, it was the red light district. There's lots of antisocial behaviour and crime. But actually what we found from speaking to our residents was that often they'd say, 
look, I'm going to move to the suburbs and we don't see a capital a capital centric style product in the in the suburbs we don't see that kind of architectural quality or that that community curation or placemaking so have you you know can can you come to the suburbs and you you've seen the city grow and grow in terms of its height of its buildings and that's been acting almost as a dam and increasingly you know people are going to flip into family mode they're going to have they, want, they might want to get married, they might want to um, start a family, they might want to have a pet, they might want access to outside space, and they're going to go to the suburbs. So to us, it was kind of uh, uh, the next kind of logical business move is to go, well, whereabouts in the suburbs of Greater Manchester could we try to bring forward a, a, city, a Manchester city centre style quality of project, but actually in, in a location that's um, you know absolutely not in the city centre. And uh, Stockport was a great Port of Cork, it's really well connected with the, the public transport, the train stations right nearby. Um, it's got, um, it's got, it had bold ambition and plans for re regenerating itself. And it's got some beautiful old buildings there. And often a third of what we do is conservation and, and restoration. And we were able to find this beautiful old um, mill building that was in a really bad state of decline. Uh, lots of challenges with it uh, to bring it back to life. Um, and so um, we love a challenge. And uh, and set about finding a way of of being able to buy it and bring it forward um, to create um, to create a new uh, residential and business ecosystem in that in, in that suburb of Greater Manchester. Yeah, so Weir Mill itself is as as, as Tim described. Now it's it's an amazingly well located um, building complex, and one of the things that Stockport were able to do was to transform its designation from a kind of workplace employment area into this new mixed-use community that, that really helped unlock the potential of redeveloping this building and bringing forward it for uh, for residential and a mix of different uses within it. Um, and it, it's a building that's got an, an absolutely amazing history. Um, you know, it's been a part of the community of Stockport for over 150 years already. Um, you know, its first iteration was back in seven. 1719. It was last used as a cotton mill, which was what it was uh, kind of original purpose was um, in the, in the 1950s. So it's got this huge legacy of of kind of being embedded within that community. But since the 1950s, it's just kind of fallen off the edge of decline, got worse, worse and worse, poorer and poorer condition, to the point where lots of people, unlike Tim, probably would have looked at it and run run a mile from it as a as an asset. But because these things have such identity, um, it, it's it's one of those things that you can't help but be captivated by. It. You've got to look past the grime and the grit and actually go inside and imagine the potential of what this place could be. Um, and one of the things that um, these mill buildings were, and they kind of always grew organically as well, you know, elements were, um, were built and another kind of new phase was bolted on. Um, the, the the amazing thing with these things are that they tend to get more and more introverted as they as they grow, um, and actually one of the big potentials of this site, thinking about it in its wider kind of new context that Stockport was setting out as a council, was to to completely integrate it into the town centre. And like Tim says, it it's about bringing the community in, not just the people that might use those buildings on an active day to day basis, but get everyone else in. And that was one of the really big starting points for this to to unlock. Um, the River Mersey, which runs through uh, through Stockport. Um, and it's one of those crazy things that not many people realise 
river the river mersey runs through stockport and this is one of those opportunities we kind of felt as a team to kind of go well let's let's make that one of the kind of the driving forces behind the scheme get people into a landscape get people experiencing the history um, and and turning this into a new a new center and the new start of this new area that's going to be born in in stockport's industrial heartland I mean, maybe we should touch on the history of mill buildings in this area. They were traditionally demolished. Um, it, you know, it was un unpopular to kind of tackle them. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, what are the barriers to reusing? Because I agree with you, they've got tremendous pride and identity, and you know, naturally um, uh, come with like a. a story about heritage and a story about place. Uh, and so it feels like a real win-win. And yet, you know, we still see them demolished. And so, and, and they were traditionally demolished. Um, so are there still barriers to taking on these uh, buildings? Are they, have their popularity changed in some way? And can we talk a little bit about um, the site uh, as found and the challenges of taking on, you know, a, a big piece of heritage? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to think about there, isn't there? I think um, really a lot of our previous projects ha had involved or in, and involve existing buildings, and they could be buildings from you know, you know, seventies, sixties uh, backwards. What, what we like about them so much is that they've got real character to them, and um, so that could be exposed concrete ceilings. Um, it, it could be the corduroy concrete on the outside of it. It could be. Anything, but also it creates um, a challenge, and that challenge then also requires you to have much more innovative solutions. It needs you to be smarter, I think, uh, and it needs you to be more creative and innovative. And uh, that's we like that, I think, and the people that we work with um, are, are all like that kind of challenge. And it's interesting, actually, in Mark's introduction, he said that BDP, you know, one of the biggest practices, architectural practices in the UK, and that's quite unusual for capital and centric because most of our other practices that we work with are actually uh, much smaller, uh, incredibly smaller, and that's actually that, and that's the reason for that. And that's because for us, it's about the individual, because that person has got to sit alongside us, and that team of individuals have to sit alongside us and and have passion, and uh, ex but experience, uh, but and a real determination to make these things work. And what we really like so often is where you can kind of create restrictions well and the buildings often do because inevitably they're harder to work with they exist and they are they have to be preserved uh, and we want to preserve them uh, but then that means that you've, you can find with what you can do and that's when you need the individual and, and actually here that's mark you know the reason that uh, people said oh it's unusual for capital and centric to work with bdp because they're, they're much bigger practice than, than you are as a business but that's because it's mark and and, and we back mark on that and and, and he gets it and, and that's a really important part of the process because these things aren't easy to make work uh, and we love that idea when you come back to someone and uh, we like it when we go back to our team and say, look, this just doesn't, it isn't going to work uh, because we just cannot afford to do it like that. And what's great is when it comes back with a much even better architectural solution um, that actually also achieves that, 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 uh, that can hit that cost um, uh, figure that we're all trying to aim at to make it deliverable as well. So that, that's one of the reasons why we like working with existing buildings and, and uh, the way that it kind of roots you in the community immediately as well it feels you know you feel like you're part of the a part of a solution so developers we've got a bad reputation um but if we can bring a a dilapidated uh, derelict building back into use in, a, in any town or city then it, you've, you've automatically got a little bit of a 
of a of a free pass through to the next stage um and so you can then start to ask the community you know uh, what they want and the reason by the way that we talk about community so often um isn't out of the goodness of our heart is because as a developer we understand that if you, if you can harness the value of community then you can make things that wouldn't ordinarily have been deliverable deliverable um and if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world uh you know uh, facebook and, and and snapchat and twitter and insta their communities uh, without real estate assets and they're hugely valuable and what we're doing is in the same way is capturing that the value of that community and and empowering that and, and creating value in that way and that means actually that it's a long-term approach so we've got to find ways of creating long-term value so what we don't actually do it's different to a lot of other developers we think is that we tend not to build something and then look at the value on day one at completion um we often say it's odd isn't it that any other business wouldn't you kind of move into an office buy new computers uh, fit it all out with beautiful furniture and go how much money have we made um and, and it's like well you, you need to kind of do it the same way you need to think about building a loyal customer base changing perception about your business or the area that you're in uh, getting a you know a growing a long-term business plan and then you know, then you can sit back and ask well, what kind of money are we going to make and so for us uh, and here at we are mill uh, that we're talking about today it's the same approach so we're going to keep hold of it for the long term and over time um we're going to love it and nurture it clean the windows cut the grass uh look after the community that are there give them the reasons to interact with each other in that space that the, the residents that live in the space and that's how we see as our route through to value and, and a great way of doing that to bring it back to the start again is by taking some existing buildings and because uh, we know that that breeds a lot of uh, passion and loyalty in the people who are going to live and work in that space so it's not all um refurbishing the mill you've got some new inserts there and i know that plays into the kind of viability of the project having both old and new and i think maybe it'd be a good idea just for people to understand and maybe mark you can take us through the the new insertions the kind of existing and maybe that mix yeah um of what's of what's there in terms of um flats and uh public space as well yeah of course, um, yeah. I probably should have described this earlier. So, so Weirmill is a complex, as I sort of said earlier. It's it's kind of located in this um, industrial current area of, of Stockport. But what makes it really unique is uh, it's got a Grade Two uh, viaduct that bisects the site in two, and um, that sits uh, thirty-five meters up in the air. And it's got these absolutely amazing vaulted arch structures. Um, and actually the mill buildings that we have, there is a, a kind of complex of mill buildings, but the mill buildings in part are actually built in and underneath some of these railway arches. And that's kind of part off the kind of history of the site that the mill buildings were there first, the railway came second, and they altered the mill buildings in order to build the railway through it. Um, so in parts, you can literally lean out of a window and touch the, the viaduct arch of the of the of the uh, the viaduct railway arch that sits above now it's an amazing kind of complex it would only come from victorian engineering driven solutions was the kind of the thing that kind of had to happen and everything else came secondary um so yeah we've got these um three principal components on the site there are two um different aged um mill buildings both of which were kind of revolutionary in their time jack brick vault arch structures um, and they kind of changed in engineering kind of um, 
uh, rigor and, and sort of bigger spans as the buildings got kind of later. Uh, and there's also a remnant of a, a wheelhouse on the site as well. It was the, the, in part the original wheelhouse that drove the mill before steam engines and everything else kind of came along. Um, and that's still sat in the Mersey today with maybe some timbers. It's too dangerous to get into even still today, but um, some timbers from the original water wheel that, that might still exist in the base of it. So we've got these sort of two or three kind of main components. There's a weaving shed that's there today that is again built underneath uh, the base of one of the arches in a very poor, poor state of, of, of repair, uh, where we're proposing to, to create Weaver's Square, which is going to be this major piece of new public realm that sits directly opposite and new bus interchange that's been built um, literally on the doorstep. And then we're bringing forward two new buildings um, that sit in a very contemporary uh, kind of manner uh, against these existing structures. And they're all uh, all kind of completely relating back to the, the multitude of grids of different buildings that sit on the site, very carefully kind of orientated and 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 uh, and driven by the planning of the of the site. Um, so it, it was really important for us that we wanted to retain the kind of courtyard-like nature of these existing mill building complexes, which was really kind of a core part of their identity, but at the same time make it incredibly permeable so that people could be driven in like Tim was saying earlier and, and learn to love these buildings for a fresh. So our new buildings um, are really kind of celebrations of the old uh, kind of engineering um, engineering endeavors that were undertaken and our buildings you know, are intentionally contemporary and industrial in their kind of architecture but look like feats of engineering in their own right and that was a real real strong driver at the start of the process that we wanted to be like the mill building had grown over generations, 150 years worth, we wanted our new buildings to be a distinct new identity brought to the site um, with its own individual identity, very much like the mill buildings had and do have on the site today. Each one you can look at and know that it's come from a different era with a series of new rules applied to it for a different task. And our new buildings hopefully are a new part of that story. Um, which I think uh, something I really like that you spoke about earlier that that these buildings have stories to tell. You know they've been in communities for generations, and and our architecture is a part of that story making. And the landscape spaces that we create are ways of people engaging um, with that. So just to talk numbers, we're creating just over two hundred and fifty apartments um, within uh, within the the development. Um, around ninety of those are within the existing buildings that, that we're uh, we're creating. And, uh, and then we're creating just over 2,000 square meters of new commercial space in there as well. So it's not just a residential scheme, it's active ground floors. Um, uh, another space I didn't mention actually, the, the West Shed, as we call it, is another uh, retained space that has an amazing character and picks up on something that, uh, that Tim's done previously up in uh, Juicy Street Warehouse in Manchester, this uh, you know, amazing kind of new lounge-like space um, for, for the whole community that kind of sits around. But yeah, kind of bringing old and new together and the spaces in between being these like, events um, really is, is the kind of the big idea. I mean, Capital and Centric were already interested in green space and lush space and gardens, but has anything changed post COVID? Has, you know, has it just reaffirmed a lot of the things you were already thinking or has the move towards increased remote working or, you know, the kind of sense of community that people are going, ha has this heightening of that changed the retail mix or the flat design or any other aspects of the, 
of the program. Yeah. yeah, lots. I mean, I think what it's what it's been useful for, uh, one of the very few things that COVID has been useful for, um, if you like, is reminding us of why good architecture is important and uh, and why uh, a good public realm and, and, and public space is important. But actually also it's, it was a good reminder for us as well that uh, lots of public space for us has always been uh, essential and something that we focused a lot of time and money on and as you know, we tend to plant up all of the public realm way before we finished, uh, you know, get it, got anywhere near doing the development and construction um, to make it as green and lush as it can possibly be. But actually, also, you need, you need private green spaces as well. I think that was the thing that, um, that it reminded us about, that um, there might be the residents who live there may want their own private spaces as well. So we thought about how you can create intimate uh, areas, enclosed areas. So you have a in, in, the, in the landscapes, you have a, a series of different ways of being outdoors that's important because you don't necessarily want to be in amongst a big uh, buzz of people. And then the uses that we put in terms of the cafe bars, the co-working spaces and delis on the ground floor and how they interact with the space outdoors as well. We've uh, furthered our thinking. Um, and so to, to ensure that in in future it just makes it uh, a much more um, uh, kind of uh, just a more kind of rounded offer in terms of what goes on on the ground floor. So that if you if you didn't want to or didn't need to go too far, you don't have to. Um, we've never been a fan either of, of kind of hermitizing people by putting everything within the building. So, you know, and in, and in uh, you know, like a cinema space or a, a, an indoor resident only gym, because it does, you know, we do want people to want to get out. And uh, often we talk about our, our projects and buildings, uh, our especially our commercial spaces, as ha- using people as ornaments. So that, you know, that, that's a way to activate them and to get people, other people to go to them. And so we've intentionally focused on creating spaces that are publicly accessible uh, and, and uh, such as a gym uh, and so on um, that, uh, and, uh, that, that have a dual purpose so that you can use it as resident, but you can also access it as the public as well. Uh, that's become really important and actually makes all the spaces work really hard and, and much busier. Uh, that's, that's been a key factor. And keeping apartments larger. So typically in one of our projects, all of our projects, we're, we're about 30 to 40% bigger than the, uh, than the average in that town or city and that's really come that's really stood us in good stead uh, when it's come to us with our sales of homes in in for example in in, in the cities that we're developing in um because of course we're not just in manchester we're in all sorts of other cities throughout the uk but prominently in the north and we've definitely fared better for having larger apartments that have balconies and a roof terrace and green space on the ground floor as well so that's really re, you know, re kind of affirmed our view on those things, and actually helped us to kind of further evolve and and enhance some of those some of that thinking as well. And if you can attract anybody from the city centre too, it's a version of city centre living because these aren't homes. Don't forget with their own garden and their own front door. These are apartments. So they what they need is to to get a resident to consider a, 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 a an apartment scheme and a residential scheme in the suburbs is you're gonna have to have all of the cool things that they can access great gyms great coffee great co-working spaces uh, cool apartments they need all that stuff otherwise they're just not going to want to go they'll they, they just leapfrog all the way out to the the wavy cul-de-sacs that uh, barrett bellway and persimmon build and so we need to offer them somewhere between the two and that's what this offer here does we think I wanted to ask whether you felt the government was doing enough to support the kind of work you're going to do. I mean, you know, you talk about being 30 or 40 percent bigger. Maybe the market is supporting those choices. But in terms of reusing buildings, you know, did, would you want to see that VAT um, reform around uh, around retrofitting or refurbishing? Um, you know, would you would you like to see, you know, space standards uh, brought in more aggressively in the north? Yeah, sure. Uh... 
Yes, I think I think so. In terms of in terms of uh, refurbishing and, and the VAT treatment, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would make life a lot a lot simpler if we could um, if we could avoid that unnecessary incentive to demolish. Um, and also, when you think about embodied carbon, it's much easier to keep a building and repurpose it and and uh, bring it back to life than it is to tear it down uh, and and munch it to pieces and then and then dig it into the ground and then build a new building above it. Is you know that just seems nuts to us. It always has really. It just it destroys value uh, and it destroys um, at the same time it just it, it you know destroys the climate doesn't it is unnecessarily and look and I'm not an eco warrior but to us that's just common sense and it's something that we've always done and always seem like the right thing to do um, so um, so yeah it would help now I should be clear actually a lot of our projects we do get support from central government as well so here um, we've got um, support from Homes England who are providing us with some grant support to make this deliverable and that's fantastic and that, I, I'm, I'm hugely grateful for Homes England support as well, and that's really important. And I'd like to see them continue to to do that. And it backed us here. You know, it's a project that other people said that's never going to happen, um, and it can't work. But actually, what their support does in terms of giving us some additional gap funding is that that allows us to create the ripple effect that we'll see the rest of the town centre of uh, of Stockport uh, change massively um, to bring a lot of buildings back into use again, and and to really redensify that town centre and make it. A, a town centre that's gone from being predominantly re, uh, retail-led to actually being residential-led as well. And, uh, and that'll be a thriving place for people to live and a, a really good alternative to the city centre in Manchester, which, of course, has become incredibly expensive. So um, it's, a, it's a great way of, 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 of the government actually being able to intervene in little ways uh, to change the future direction of, of a town and really set the regeneration on course, you know, for in terms of the legacy of that will, will take place over the next 10, 20 years. It's a, it's a really important Mark, point. Are, are you, yeah, I was going to say, are you seeing the kind of retrofit, um, you know, the growth and interest in reuse and retrofit amongst your, your projects and your clients? I, I think, I think absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And no, responding to the climate change emergency, I think it's, it's becoming much higher on the agenda and it's making developers and uh well, council clients also question their decision-making plans about how they treat master planning, how they treat individual sites. Um, and I think it's a really important point going back to what Tim was saying, that at the moment, the policy is incentivizing starting from, from scratch. And there's there's a real tension, isn't there? Uh, I think there in the moment in, in the industry about, you now we all want to save, we all want to reduce carbon, but at the same time, it's a lot more risky to treat an existing building, especially, you know, Weir Mill's almost a, a sort of different challenge, isn't it? It's a grade two listed complex of buildings. So you, you want to work with a structure like that, but there's lots of other buildings where they're not listed Lots of people might look at them. I can think of uh, the bunker building that uh, that Tim did in in Liverpool. Um, that you know, it's it's a great project, but loads of people would have looked at that and gone, "Well, that's 1960s, like you said, corduroy concrete on the outside. Drop it, start again. It's cheaper. There's less risk associated with it. Who knows what the structure is actually like once you get into it? And obviously, you're paying VAT on on it as well. And um, so. It, there, there does need to be a shift, I think, in the industry to really push forward that that carbon uh, kind of neutral, carbon negative agenda that not, kind of needs to come out of it. And um, I think that that needs that needs to change because I think that there are the grant funding that kind of sits behind these projects, HLF and all the rest of it. Um, they're they're kind of balancing the equation, aren't they? But it's difficult to get those uh, those grants as well. They take time and and often. Um, I mean, I know we, when we were going through the planning process with um, 
with Stockport on this scheme, they were, they were talking about other examples where they'd gone through the process internally to review whether or not schemes should have been approved or not. And by the time they came to the point of approving them, the building had collapsed and they'd missed that opportunity to save it. Um, so it, it's really important with, with lots of these buildings that um, that that shift in kind of culture and funding kind of regime governmentally, I think, need, needs addressing um, to really kind of drive forward that carbon uh, kind of neutral agenda that I think is massively important and and to save these bits of historic tapestry that we've got in our, our kind of towns and cities. You know, they're, they're so important to us all. There's so much. Um, again, going to the kind of Weir Mill thing, um, I loved it when we were in one of the planning uh, kind of committee meetings that, that we went through, area committee meetings in Stockport, where um, some of the ward councillors were standing up and saying, yeah, my, my grandma used to work in that building because it's a building that, you know, 1950s, it's not that long ago um, that, you know, you do have relatives that would have worked asset in an industry. And it's great to have that association with these buildings and that love from a, a kind of social kind of perspective. Um, and you, you really, I think you want to kind of hold on to those things because otherwise you do start from scratch and it's much harder to build build places from scratch and imbue identity in place than it is to kind of take and build um, like, like most of our cities are in the UK. I think it raises interesting questions about belonging and identity and you know, this kind of, um, I know there's a tangible sense of loss, you know, of the chimneys and of the mill buildings, you know, that you hear about a lot. Um, and I think part of that is, um, is about, uh, you know, generational, um, you know, stories and being able to share those stories and connection and sense of belonging and all of these, um, these terms that when, you know, that can become uh, uh, divisive when used in the context of Brexit, but quite, quite unifying in the context of place. And I think that's really interesting when you've got these mix of new and old buildings that everyone kind of agrees can make uh, and shape a, a meaningful place where everyone belongs. And then mm. you have the sense that the broken down mill building and the falling apart chimney does not connect to the young people <laughs> in the same way necessarily outside of the story. Um, because the it, just by being derelict in itself it's it's casting a negative story isn't it like yeah. dereliction means like you know the kind of um is is saying you know your sorry grandma your experience is not valuable you know mm. it's it's not been maintained and it's not a story worth telling so i think it's it can be a really healing process i would imagine for our community to see both old and new valued um in a special way mm. so when you think about um uh the kind of um i'm going to bring up hs2 because it's just so fresh uh the announcements around uh infrastructure and connection and i wondered whether i mean maybe tim first of all if you had some feelings i mean manchester has you know come off uh quite well in the plans but you know is this sending the right message um to to the north about uh how they're being valued um with infrastructure uh yeah Absolutely not. In terms of you know the, the by it, it, in terms of the government withdrawing their support for spending on HS2, it sends completely the wrong message to business really because all of a sudden, if the government starts to run scared of making long term investments, then uh, why should the businesses do any differently really? And that's the fear that um, it's about confidence and about momentum in in any economy and any regional economy as well. And if if the government 
don't don't, don't create that feeling of confidence, then it's it's very hard then to persuade anybody else to 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 uh, to take a, a completely different view. Um, and, and often as well, it's my fear is that these these are the, the, the big figures, um, but the, and they're long term investments that are being made. And and often we know from businesses that make long long term strategic commitments to anything, whatever it might be, that actually ultimately they turn out to be um, the ones that are most socially beneficial um, because it's not kind of smash and grab approach. Um, and therefore, so for example, a good example of that is in development in the development world is. You know, we tend to build things and, and, and hold them and keep them. That project that Mark referred to, the bunker building in Liverpool, we've owned now for several years and still look after it. And, and so that means that that building has, has improved and blossomed over time. Whereas if it's almost like a venture capital, buy it, strip it and flip it onto somebody else, then that just destroys value. And that's my fear that actually the government is sending that, the wrong message out. It will prevent investment, not just you know, and prevent inward investment massively from outside uh, the UK as well. And places like uh, you know, places like the North get further and further behind. And actually, it costs the government uh, ultimately in the long run in lots of other ways. So, um, I, and the, the rhetoric has been a little bit like, well, the North should be grateful for what it's got. Um, and I think that that needs to change really if um if you know if the government uh want to create a longer term beneficial legacy yes they may they may not see the benefit of it themselves in the next five years but it should be about them it should be about generations to come and um and and so i'm really worried about that lack and we have a scheme in sheffield for example um and i really worry about the future sheffield you know it's it's uh, for that very reason we want to create a master plan in sheffield city center we're already on site with the first phase and that master plan could easily be in excess of a thousand homes, houses, primary school, office workspace, and so on. It can really change the, the direction of growth for Sheffield. And yet now you start to question that. So I think um, I think the government needs to think again. Mark, I don't know if you want to come in on that. Do you have a sense about, you know, it, there is this huge sense of confidence in the Northern powerhouse that Tim's kind of touched on in the sense of Sheffield as this rising star. You know, lots of these cities, um, you know, have kind of, HS2 is only part of that story, but, you know, do you, do you feel like there might be an, uh, an impact in terms of, um, of that confidence? Um, yeah, I'd, well, I'd agree, I think, with a lot of what Tim's, Tim's just said. I mean, the, the, the great thing is uh, the sort of the Metro Mayor thing of, um, Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham, you know, they they are kind of building uh, building this kind of success, and I think that 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 to me again to going back is that's one of the really damaging things about this uh, this lack of faith that's kind of being portrayed at the moment that it seems to be just about reaching Manchester, and um, so it's just about keeping the what the government see as being a strong powerhouse. Uh, between those two cities, but actually Leeds isn't quite as organised, so we can chop that off and not worry about the damage and the backlash that will kind of come with that because they're not such a, a vocal audience. That's what kind of feels like is is kind of being, it's a tactical decision that's kind of been taken, I think. Um, and I think it, it is it is damaging um, to, uh, to the construction industry in the North. I think it is that sort of um, now the, the opportunities that, I mean, the area that Tim's developing uh, with Crusader Mill and Phoenix, um, as he said uh, earlier, you know, a, a sort of red light district of Manchester, that's absolutely one of the places that HS2 can and will utterly transform. Um, 
and you know, fingers crossed that's still going to happen with the plans that the government are proposing. But obviously, you've got to wonder about these places in, in Leeds, you know, what's going to happen. Those areas that would have been brought forward as a result of HS2, the vision of HS2 still arriving in 20, 30 years time as well. You've got to remember that people were planning for that already. And now they can't plan for 20, 30 years time. It might be, well, actually, maybe we've got to wait for another 60 years before we get major investment and will 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 that rebalance um, to other cities? Birmingham might get more of a focus as, as a result. So, um, it, it it is a it is a concern. But I think knowing that we've got a growing um, strength of the two metro mayors, I think that's that's really good. I think you now they are they are vocal. They they seem to have the ear of um, obviously both Labour certain certain sides of the bench down in Parliament, and I think. You've got to hope that over time that will grow and and build on uh, on that sort of more localised agenda that I think needs needs to happen to help promote promote business. Yeah, it's been really good to hear them actually come out in solidarity, and I know it's been right across the board. They've kind of come out together um, around these plans and stood together and didn't say, you know, it, it was kind of seen as a northern wide benefit that needed to be delivered and not just about, um, you know, infighting about whether, you know, Manchester or Leeds was going to get the most. It was they could have easily broken down, but instead they stood together, which I thought was really hopeful in a way um, for the for the power of that lobby. And certainly Leeds has done so much work around bringing Channel 4 up there and kind of building out that creative economy around it. I mean, it feels really like an own goal on behalf of the government to not be backing that transition, which is which is really, um, as I said, kind of a, a, a rising star, you know, many of these, um, this really good, strong um, investment work that's been going on and strategic placemaking uh, within these um, areas based on the promise of something, like you said, in 20 or 30 years time. So certainly share your frustration um, so, you know, just bringing us back to this project. So can I have, I mean, you know, whoever, which one of you wants to paint the picture? I want to travel forward in time. Tell me how long I'm traveling forward in time and, uh, and take me on a little walk. Tell me what I'm going to find when I, uh, arrive there after completion. Well, the great, the great thing is that anybody that visits, um, Manchester, say from something from the, if you're coming from the South for any reason, will you kind of you'll, you go within touching distance of it. You'll see it from the train, so you go over the, you go over the top of it, so you'll be able to look down into it and see it. So, um, so or or if you're in Manchester, then you're only a, a what 15 minute train ride uh, to have a look at it because um, you kind of pretty much stop outside it off the train. And um, we have planning now, which uh, which wasn't a given actually because we have the uh, the high level um, viaduct meant that there's you know there's some opposition to us developing in and around it. Um, and there's a really good debate around that. You know, there's a really healthy debate around is it right, is it wrong, but delighted to get a unanimous decision from the planning committee. And then Secretary of State said we don't need to look at it. Um, we, we trust uh, we trust that people have made the right decision on the way through, which is great, a great endorsement. Uh, and then, um, and so now we are in the process of finalising um, the agreement with a building contractor so that we can get cranes going up and wagons rolling. So um, I don't know what the programme is actually off the top of my head, um, Mark, have you got a better idea? I think we're starting on site. Hopefully, fingers crossed, in March next year. Then it's a two-year build, um, so not not that long to wait. Hopefully, for people to come and so see. When it. I get there in in two years, and I'm walking around, what am I going to see? What am I going to feel? And who's living there? 
Yeah, you'll, you'll see, you're going to see lots, hopefully a really broad demographic of people, because that's what makes any place a space interesting, isn't it? You want a really, um, you know, really wide cohort of different people um, hanging out, drinking coffee, um, work on the laptops, um, on the ground floor spaces and cafes and delis and so on. Um, and, and people topping off to the gym or popping out to um, popping out to the, a, a cafe bar. So, um, and you'll see, I think what you'll see is, um, you know, you'll, you'll see a, a glistening um, new building in the distance, which is uh, one of which is quite tall, quite a tall um, residential building, which acts as a bit of a landmark in amongst a, an existing kind of tower as well that exists as well as a, a chimney that's there. So, and, and, and you're going to find, um, uh, you're going to find as you, as you walk into it, um, an interesting series of routes in and around and through the buildings um, that you can then kind of move and explore. And if you go to the, if you go right the way through, you'll pop into different public squares and spaces, and then you'll go back funneled into a smaller space. Almost the scheme embraces you as you walk through it again and open up to a, a waterfront as well. Um, or you might walk under the dramatic viaduct um, where we've created some so, uh, another public square, and you can look up at this um, almost cathedral-like height of um, these huge. Uh, brick kind of barrel vaulted um, viaduct arches. So there's so much to take in. Uh, and then, you know, you, you're going to see it's a, it's a busy place. There's there's a, there's a, a flight path above for, for Manchester Airport. So you've got planes flying over. There's a motorway not very far away. So you've got, you've got cars whizzing by and there's a road that runs around the front of it. And actually you could have thought of that and gone, oh, well, hang on, is this a right, is this a good location? But for us, it just adds great drama. Uh, it, it creates a real busyness to it. Um, and, and actually it acts as a as, as being a really kind of well used say you know well um kind of visited place to be and and for us that's far from it being a challenge actually for us it's, it just makes it all the more urban and more all the more interesting and, and all the more dynamic i suppose and it's as a result i think it's just going to be an, an exciting place to visit a place that previously has been derelict and and uh, and fall into disrepair and, and hoarded off from the public and all of a sudden it's going to all be opened up and people can uh, walk around and enjoy it Mm. I'm I'm excited to go there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, everything that Tim said, I think it, exactly. Right. I, I I can't wait. The first time I go there, I can't wait to um to go and experience Weaver's Square. Coming coming to the corner of the site, seeing a big vertical, shiny red engineering looking building on the left hand side of me. Weaver's Square in front of me with cast iron columns, an active waterfront going on. And, and this view through, probably for the first time in Stockport's history, a view through one of these arches that you can actually experience on the ground, up close and personal, um, and hopefully seeing some kind of gig going on underneath it, you know, something really kind of unique. And then through that vista, seeing you know, beautifully restored mill buildings with kind of people living in them, um, you know, an, another new engineering looking building visible through the base of the arches and, and roots visible out of it. Um, all, all kind of centering in this lush green environment that's going to sit behind. So a com complete contrast to the first one. Um, you know, just that multitude of people and uh, and experiences going on in a really kind of tight environment. I think it's going to be incredibly special uh, as a, as a scheme. And then and then you've got the waterfront as well, like like Tim said. Um, now, with a new bridge that we're proposing in introducing, which will take you right over the top of some Roman steps, as they're called, looking down below um, and almost giving you uh, a kind of a, a, a guided tour through through the kind of history of the site. Um, you know, very purposeful new buildings, but very beautifully restored and um, 
uh, um, altered existing heritage buildings and kind of really showing the best of both um, all, all being brought together on this Weir Mill site. Yeah, and hopefully, we said right at the very outset, Mark, didn't we, when we're walking around it, um, we don't want it to feel like a development. We want it to feel like an eclectic mix of uh, different buildings and spaces. And we've done that elsewhere and we really like that vibe. So it's not something that's plonked from outer space um, and in a contrived way that all feels like it's controlled. It should feel, if we've done our job correctly, um, kind of whimsical and fun and uh, an odd and, um, uh, and, and you know, and, and in places intentionally awkward. And I think that, um, I've just described my personality, haven't I, I think. Um, <laughs> so I think that um, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing, I think, that will be um, make it an interesting place to go and visit and hang out. I love that, because it's a big, it's a huge space. And so you, you don't want to make it kind of like a, a homogenous. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there's surprises around each, each corner, um, as if a different... Uh, developer might have done each different part of it and uh, and I think that'll make it feel really special as a, as a result. That just leaves me to thank you both for talking to me about the project and about uh, your work today. Thank you Christine, thanks for having us, well, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.